This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this interview. Uh, One of the biggest topics, no, the biggest topic in the Equity Mates community last year was sustainability and climate change. Yes. And uh, we're kicking off the year with a big interview with two experts who are right in the middle of this subject. So I'm going to learn a lot and uh, hopefully find some investing ideas in this massive thematic to kick off the year. Absolutely. No better way to kick off. And it is our absolute pleasure to welcome Nick Griffin and James Sinidis to the studio. Guys, welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. So Nick is the founding partner and chief investment officer at Munro Partners and James is a partner and portfolio manager at Munro Partners as well. And they are both here to talk about the investment case for climate. So Ren, let's kick into it. Let's do it. Now, uh, Nick, we've had you on the show before and uh, when we've had you on, we've been talking about you know big technology companies and Munro has built a reputation for investing on the forefront of some of these big technological changes. So how does climate fit into this? Why is climate one of these big technological changes? So when you're investing full stop, you know, the, the biggest thing you can do is, is try and find some sort of structural tailwind. That, that, that tailwind will ultimately lead you towards some great companies and those great companies will ultimately get you great earnings growth and earnings growth will equal share price growth and get you return. So so that bit's pretty simple. And so if you go back over time, you know, the smartphone, the adoption of smartphones effectively created Apple, the adoption of e-commerce creates Amazon, the adoption of, you know, tap and go payments or buy now, pay later creates Afterpay in Australia. That's sort of, you know, the structural tailwinds that you're looking for that creates the earnings growth that creates the winners. Climate is just another one of these structural changes. You know, from our point of view, it's reasonably obvious that we're going to attempt to decarbonize the planet. It's on the, you know, most consumers care about it. Now most corporates care about it and governments care about it as well. So that three-pronged approach means that you are going to attempt to decarbonize the planet. And I really think it's that corporate one that's the, the big driver here where most companies now are being held to account on their ability to decarbonize the planet. Hmm. And so if you look at that and you think about, well, how much is that going to cost? 
you know, there's a range of estimates out there, but we think it's somewhere between 30 and $50 trillion to, to electrify and decarbonize the planet, both across electricity, transport, packaging, et cetera. And so at the end of the day, the reason why we think this is one of the big structural changes is because that's 30 to $50 trillion of revenue for the companies that are going to enable that decarbonization. So, so our job as investors is to follow the demand, follow the money, find the companies that will enable that decarbonization, that will equal earnings growth, that means growth will equal share price growth. And that's exactly what you did with smartphones or e-commerce or cloud computing. And, and this is why it's exactly the same. And that's why we just think it's a really exciting area. And the best thing about it is, you know, we're right at the start. Yeah. So if climate is the sort of umbrella structural change within that, what are some of the really interesting structural changes that you're particularly sort of focusing on and interested in at Munro? Yeah, good question. So obviously, as Nick mentioned, sort of 30 trillion of spend um, over the next 30 years to 2050 is most of the targets are sort of net zero by 2050. And we sort of think more broadly than just sort of thinking about renewable energy and things like that. Um, electric vehicles, we're trying to capture the whole sort of sustainability piece here. So the, the first piece that we look at is is renewable energy itself and all the companies helping to transition from fossil fuels to, to renewable power sources. So everything from solar panels, wind turbines, right through to sort of the companies that are actually building it and getting it to the consumer. Next piece would be uh, the energy efficiency side. So it's probably something that's less talked about or less sort of front of mind, but, you know, just retrofitting old buildings, homes, et cetera, with new insulation, new heating, cooling systems, et cetera. The third piece we'd think about is just the clean transportation side. So that's everything everything from Tesla to the companies that power electric vehicles in the semiconductor side and so forth and the battery side and the commodity side, but also other forms of transport as well that are maybe harder to decarbonize, which are maybe further out into the future. So there you'd sort of have some of the hydrogen type of stocks where you you're sort of looking at decarbonising over time, you know, shipping and other other sort of areas as well. And the last piece is is just a circular economy side. So everything from sort of waste collection companies through to plastic recycling companies through to companies that are benefiting from a, a shift in substrate. So generally from plastic to, to aluminium or, or container board, et cetera. Um, and so that, those are sort of the four big key themes we're thinking about. But obviously there's a huge you know, multitude of um, opportunities within each of those as well. So All massive topics and would love to sort of uh, just briefly step through each of them for you to give us, I guess, a little bit of a lay of the land. What are some of the challenges in each of those fields? Where are the opportunities? And are there any companies that you think are doing really interesting things? Obviously, we could do a full podcast on each topic, so we uh, we don't expect uh, we don't expect the full you know thesis. But just so for Bryce and I, and for people listening, if we just want to understand what each of those labels mean, uh, we we can have a bit of a bit of an idea. Uh, so, Nick, why don't we start with you? Uh, of those four categories, uh, clean energy, energy efficiency, circular economy, and clean transport. Uh, dealer's choice. Why don't you pick one to start with? What's one that uh, gets you excited? And can you? Talk us through it a little bit. Yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll take an obvious one, and then I'll I'll do two. I'll do the obvious one and the less obvious one, and then I'll change the two. So the obvious one is clearly clean transport. So every single person listening to this podcast is probably considering buying an electric car, and I would argue their next car is probably an electric car. Electric cars are just like smartphones were back in two thousand eight. So we all owned a feature phone. I we all owned an internal combustion engine. And then we all switched from a Nokia 6110 to a smartphone. Mm -hmm. That's what we did. Mm. Um, And we all didn't stay with Nokia. We all went to Apple. And so the argument is we all won't go with, you know, with with Ford, we'll go to Tesla. 
as we move to electric cars. That's why Tesla has the market cap it has. Um, but there will be others along the way, and there is a whole supply chain within that. So as you move to electric cars, obviously there will be car companies that win out of that, both legacy car companies and, and new car companies coming along. The second thing that will happen is, you know, the supply chain. So the semiconductor supply chain will be very important. So instead of building engines, you'll be putting lots of semiconductors into these cars to like power semis, et cetera. And that's companies like Infineon and OnSemi in the US are the, are the ones we like there. And then thirdly, you know, you'll have to put an entire electric architecture in these cars and do charging per stations and et cetera. And so that's really for your electric infrastructure company. So that's how we'd, we'd take clean transport. And, you know, there are companies building these charging terminals. There are companies that make these semis. Uh, and there are obviously the car companies that make electric cars. Uh, right now, the supply chain looks... Oh, sorry, and lastly, there's the batteries. There's the lithium and the nickel and everything. So for us, the supply chain looks a lot cheaper than the brands today. Um, but at some point, that may change around. So that's that's clean transport. That's the really obvious one. And I think the, the one stat I'd just leave your, your listeners with is this inflection is actually happening right now. So you can't really see it in Australia. But, you know, countries like Norway, Norway are already up to 60% electric cars. Of wow. all new cars are electric. China's at 25% of all new cars are electric. Europe's at 15 and Australia and the US are still hanging around at five. <laughs> but we will catch them. We will. It's, it's just a matter of time. Yeah, it's a challenge. I have thought about electric cars, but I live in like, uh, you know, a pretty dense area of um, just sort of the outer C- CBD in Sydney. And where we live, our suburb has no parking spots per house. It's, you know, everyone parks on the street. So how are you supposed to run an electric cord from your house down 200 metres where your car's parked <laughs> to, to charge your car? It's it's a massive challenge. <laughs> it is a challenge and uh, it's a challenge that we'll solve over time. Yeah. But, but I agree, you know, the car the car shift will probably not happen. The smartphone shift took about six years. Mm. The car shift will take about 20 yeah. to get to 100% electric. But even at that rate, it's important to remember that the total addressable market for car is like, you know, 20x what a smartphone is. Yeah. Um, so it becomes companies that can benefit from this shift you know, basically have 20 years of continuous demand in front of them. Yeah. And I think what excites us is that's 20 years of continuous demand when, you know, most of them are trading at, you know, market multiples or below because people just haven't really thought through this structural shift that's occurring. They're happy to give the multiple to Tesla and price in, you know, the 2030 earnings today, but they're not prepared to do it to these companies that are integral in the supply chain. And, and that's the opportunity we like. So if that, if clean transport's the obvious one, uh, why don't we move to the less obvious one, uh, Nick, and then uh, we'll get to the other two. Okay, so my less obvious one is energy efficiency. This is actually the biggest one. So the simple way to think about, the best way to save, you know, to get to carbon net zero. So say you're BHP and you're producing a sustainability report, which they do. It's on their website. It's got 180 pages in it, including Excel spreadsheets. And it it ultimately shows you how they're going to get to net zero. And it's audited by EY. The easiest way to do that is to become energy efficient. So to move their buildings to six-star energy ratings, to think about the insulation cladding on new buildings, to think about the heating, ventilation and cooling system that they're running off, to switch from gas-fired to renewable power, to double glaze your glass. You know, this is basically a building renovation boom uh, that you see in Europe particularly right now and, and we suspect you'll see in the rest of the world. And here you know, just really boring companies that you wouldn't think would benefit from this are going to benefit from. So, so, you know, we've become experts in HVAC or heating, ventilation and cooling. 
we've always liked insulation. You know, these are great structural trends. They don't have to be technology. They've still got a demand curve in front of them and, and you don't really have to pay for it. One thing I love about investing is that you can become an expert in something that you just never thought you would be interested in. You, mm. You've become an expert in insulation. Who, who would have thought that? <laughs> it's a fun industry. It's a fun industry. And what about you, James? Um, do you want to take us through the other two? Yeah, so maybe I'll do the renewable energy side. And the way we sort of looked at it to sort of uncover where we wanted to invest was... We looked at that sort of 30 trillion number that we spoke about and we got some estimates from European Investment Bank estimating where that 30 trillion be spent and and actually energy efficiency was the biggest spend at about a quarter of the spend. Um, but the next biggest was actually renewable energy build out. Um, that's about just under 20% of their estimation. And then from there, what we basically did was we basically did the math. So 30 trillion, 20% of 30 trillion over 30 years and where within renewable energy is that going to be spent? Where are they going to get the power from? I.e. is it going to be solar, onshore wind, offshore wind, et cetera? And we basically just did the math of where we thought the dollars would flow and then we basically looked at the companies to benefit from it from each of those those areas. So basically looked at the simple um, manufacturers of the products, so the wind turbine companies, the companies that put the products in and actually run the, the wind farms and so forth and companies all across sort of the transmission grid as well. So that's basically what we did for the renewable side and just effectively tried to figure out the revenue opportunity for, for each of these companies uh, with, within there. Effectively built a built a universe of, of, of these type of companies and tried to pick the best opportunity at the time. So um, that was what we did for renewable energy, very much that sort of top down and then the bottom up company work afterwards. When we were prepping for this interview, we read something on your website that Forecast suggests the world needs 20 times more wind farms than are in existence today, but there's only three companies that can build them, which just blew my mind that, you know, in such a, you know, we've we've talked about how big a growth area this is going to be, and there's three companies that, that are competing for this work. Can you just talk us through how that's the case? Yeah, so that's on the OEM side. So the companies actually build the turbines themselves and, and ship them and so forth. Nick started investing in this area, I think, 15 years ago or so. And, and back then, there's actually a lot more of these companies. And a lot of them actually went broke because, as, as you can imagine, sort of shipping around um, very large, you know, the size of jumbo jet type turbines, um, there's a lot that can actually go wrong. And we're seeing that at the moment with, obviously, with COVID and supply chains and these type of things. Profitability is really under pressure. And so a lot of these companies just didn't survive. And so they either merged or, or went out of business or whatnot. Um, and so you ended up with three main players um, in the developed world. And then you had the Chinese players as well. But obviously shipping around things of that size, there is that sort of natural barrier relative to mm. other industries where sort of Chinese competitions come in and, and maybe beaten the Western counterpart over time. It hasn't happened as much in, in that industry. You've, you've ended up with three pretty stable sort of Western companies being Vestas, um, Siemens Gamesa and, and GE. So they've sort of been somewhat protected from that sort of Chinese competition over time. And then the others that they've competed against have, yeah, have, have gone broke or whatnot um, as the industry's matured. You had a situation where things were very much determined by incentives and so forth, tax um, breaks and so forth in different, different countries. And so as the demand sort of shifted based on that, companies did go out of business over, over time um, as the demand sort of spiked and, and fell. Now we're in a situation where the cost of wind is actually below sort of fossil fuels in a lot of markets. And so you don't have that sort of boom bust situation anymore. And these three companies are the ones that have survived. On top of that, you do have a services side of things as well. So when you do put in a wind farm, if you're a corporate looking to put in a wind farm or, or a utility or, or something like that, so if you're not a sort of big company 
Uh, you also need to have your your wind farm serviced as well. And so a lot of these contracts, because they're sort of 30-year projects, you don't just want to leave it to anybody. And so that's why these sort of three big sort of names end up winning because they ultimately get the, the service contract for a long period of time. They lock in that customer for, you know, from long-term contracts and so forth. So that's why you've sort of seen this situation. Yeah. On the developer side, it's a bit more fragmented, as you can imagine. There's a lot of different companies and utilities and so forth looking to basically build their own um, their own wind farms or solar farms and, and whatnot. So it is different on that side. It's a very fragmented market, but that's, that's good for these sort of three big wind turbine companies because the more fragmented the market, the uh, the more customers that they have and and, and the, the more they can sort of push their contracts onto the customer. And before we move to circular economy, uh, one of, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this question because it's one of the biggest debates in the equity mates community at the moment. Where's your view on nuclear power? Like, does it play a role in this clean energy thematic? Is it too expensive? Um, the equity mates community can't agree. So we'd love to get to get your yeah, view. Yeah, I, I can take that one. Most people listening would realise we're, we're probably in a bit of trouble on this getting to net zero target. The temperature is rising, the climate is changing, and so we are very much in the all of the above category. You, you basically need to go for anything that's going to work from here. The problem with nuclear is it's just going to take so long to build a new one. Mm. Like, it is literally 10 to 15 years to build a nuclear power plant and to permit it and to find somewhere to put it. So the existing power plants, very, very useful. Will we see lots of new ones? we think less likely. Hmm. And so, James, just to close out the four categories, uh, circular economy, what are some of the challenges, opportunities that you're seeing there? So, yeah, there's a range of different investments we've got across the fund on circular economy, everything from sort of reverse bottle vending machines, companies that build them, put them in, and, and basically you, you you put plastic bottle back in and it recycles it for you and, and maybe gives you some money as well at the same time. So everything from that to sort of companies that are just building the container board or aluminium can or whatnot, just taking share from, from plastic or, or other substrates. Um, and so we have seen, yeah, just very simple very boring type of companies do really, really well over the last few years because as you can imagine, there's this huge plastic problem or this huge waste problem. And so anything that just improves the circularity of products um, is obviously massively um, beneficial to the environment. Classic example, one of the biggest holdings in the fund right now is Ballcorp, which is an aluminium cans company. They produce aluminium cans. And so next time you go down to the um, the coffee shop or the, the lunch shop, you know, you might notice that the previous Mount Franklin bottle that was in the, the plastic bottle, it might actually be converted to can if it's sort of a high-end shop. That's a tailwind for companies like Ballcorp. Um, they can charge for that sort of premium product and aluminium cans grow at sort of a 6 7% CAGR because of that sort of just very simple substrate shift. Then obviously when you think about glass and things like that, that's very heavy. Um, and in an e-commerce world, it's not that practical as well. You don't want your glass, uh, you don't want your Amazon order coming in glass and smashed up at your front doorstep. And so it's inefficient to transport from an oil perspective and also just from a safety perspective as well. These sort of substrates do take share over time. And it's just a very simple, easy way to find a very consistent growing business or area of, of interest. And a business is just going to grow with that sort of nice structural growth tailwind ahead. So circular economy, there's a lot of really good, interesting, just below the radar type of stocks in there. The gym that I go to actually serves all their water in aluminium cans. And so now, <laughs> oh, of so course now, they do. That's the kind of gym you would go to. <laughs> so, now, so now I know, uh, I'll have a look on the bottom and see where it's made. But uh, <laughs> You are the target audience. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly as well, this company Ball Corp's doing um, cups as well. So next time you go to the football uh, and you got your plastic 
beer, your plastic cup uh, with the beer in it. Um, and, you know, as a kid, you remember, you know, you stack them up nice and high from <laughs> from the Essendon Collingwood game. Um, <laughs> uh, now that potentially, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, you know, the aluminium cup gets gets rolled out as well. That's that's a ball cork product as well. So keep your eyes out for that. Interesting. Wow. Crossed. There you go. So, uh, Nick, when we were speaking about the clean transport thematic, you mentioned how far Australia is behind uh, some of the other parts of the world. I guess more generally across these other three thematics and just climate generally, how does Australia compare? Where in the world is over-indexing? Where are you seeing some of these really great companies emerge from? Obviously, Australia doesn't compare very well. I think most people can see that from the outside looking in and even in the inside looking at it. Look, the reality is we haven't really had the political framework that's that's incentivized these things to be done. And look, we're catching up, obviously, which is great. So just to give you an idea, that some sort of government framework, you know, is helpful to allow these businesses to, to boom and which ultimately helps your economy in the long run, okay? So, you know, James just talked about Vestas. It's the largest wind turbine manufacturer in the world and it's listed in Denmark. It's the biggest company in Denmark next to Novo Nordisk, sorry. And, and you know, Tesla is the largest electric car market in the world and it, it's founded in California, right? So this isn't a coincidence, it's not a coincidence that the two places in the world that have been most climate friendly have happened to create two of the biggest leaders in this space. And Australia actually hasn't had that environment, so we haven't actually been able to build those leaders. That's unfortunate. That's done now. As we go forward, the reality is Australia has a role to play clearly with the minerals that we have that go into batteries. And I think a lot of people on equity mates are, are pretty across this and, and much more across it than we are, quite frankly. You know, we, we have a view on lithium, we like nickel, but, you know, the companies of the size that people are looking at are probably not suitable for our fund, but we, do, we, we would not put people off doing that because it's a long demand curve in front of them. The second biggest place Australia can participate is obviously with, with development of renewables. The solar stuff that people are looking at doing into the north, uh, up in Northern Territory and, and the solar farms you see popping up around Australia and the wind farms that pop around Australia. So from a developer perspective, it's, it's a rich environment um, for those utilities that want to focus on this country. That would mm. be my short answer. There's um, obviously a lot of commitments being made and uh, both from governments and, and companies uh, to hit that sort of net zero. And one way that we're seeing it sort of translate in markets is the purchase of carbon offsets and then subsequently we're seeing a pretty uh, impressive rise in the price of carbon credits. Yeah, I think it was Bryce's best investment last year was just oh, the was. price of carbon. <laughs> yeah, KRBN. It's something that we're sort of uh, invested in here at, at Equity Mates. Are you able to explain a little bit about this market, carbon, carbon credits, and do you think that carbon credits should be considered as investments by the Equity Mates community? These things have been around for a very long time. I know they're new in Australia and people are speculating on them. I would encourage you to be just a little bit careful um, and only because I've seen this happen before. So the reality is, is how does a carbon credit system works is you allocate free credits to the entire industry to allow them to pollute. And then every year you offer them less. And so if they want to pollute at the same amount, they have to buy a credit or they have to reduce their pollution, if that makes sense. And so over time, in theory, the price of carbon should continue to go up to force people to pollute less. That's how it should work. Um, but it often goes wrong because people hide and store credits, if that makes sense, and you don't know they're there, or the economy slows down and so people don't have to. These things are highly sensitive to the cycle, so suddenly they don't need as many credits. And so there's a number of ways the system breaks down. And so to give you an idea, just to give you an example, Europe is on its third attempt at a carbon credit system, and the first two times the carbon price went to zero. 
because oh, wow. everybody either hid the credits or overestimated how many they needed. Wow. And then Europe went into a recession and the carbon price went from 60 euros all the way to zero. And then they had to scrap the whole system and reset it again. And then they went it up and it went all the way to zero. And now they've scrapped the whole system and reset it again. And yeah. I think they've got it right this time. So, you know, I personally think the carbon price in Europe will continue to go up. But in Australia, we're just sort of right at the start. So it could be quite volatile. Um, mathematically, it should go up over time. It just hasn't worked out that way in lots of other examples we've seen over the years. And so just understand that they are quite cyclical. You know, there is volatility here. And ultimately, you know, we just prefer to invest in the companies that these these businesses are going to have to use to, to lower their carbon footprint. It's a, it's a much easier way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a it's a good warning and a, and a good good note to end it on. There's some great companies uh, that are doing great things um, and that are really exciting to, I guess, see how they're they're changing the world. And James, uh, when you look at the companies out there, we we're obviously seeing a lot of disruptive new companies. You know, the Teslas of the world that are really, I guess, focused on this climate challenge. But then we're also seeing a number of legacy established companies disrupting themselves and trying to take this challenge head on. And the way that we've sort of coined it here is the Tesla v VW decision. When you're thinking about investing in the companies that that are newer and focused on this climate challenge or these legacy companies that are disrupting themselves, how do you try and navigate that and you know, pick winners, I guess. Yeah, look, that's a really good question, really astute question. We've obviously seen over time, if you think back to sort of the tech example sort of 10 years ago, and over, oh, I suppose over the last decade or so, the companies that have made it through have been the ones that have been willing to sort of disrupt themselves and sort of implode their sort of near-term profitability for the benefit of the long-term. And and obviously, you guys would have uh, seen, you know, Netflix uh, versus Disney over time. And a few years ago, Disney sort of called out that ESPN was sort of struggling because people were cutting the cord for their cable and basically switching to the over the top. That's a very, very profitable business for a company like Disney. They get a lot of fees from cable for ESPN and, and their, their channels on cable. And what they basically decided to do a few years ago was basically start their own streaming product like ESPN Plus and Disney Plus, et cetera. And that's very, uh, very detrimental to their near-term profitability. But what happened was the market actually looked through that and gave Disney credit because they could see, okay, these guys just aren't going to go down as a Kodak or whatnot. They're, they're actually going to disrupt their own business and come out the other side um, and restore their profitability and basically live to fight another day. And, and so in climate change, and if you're using the example of VW, which I think is a really good one versus Tesla, the companies that don't do that Disney approach, basically they'll make money for the near term, but they'll ultimately fail. And they're their PE ratio or the EV to EBITDA ratio, whatever their multiple is they, that people are looking at, is going to derate because people can see they're not going to be going concerned into the future. So the good companies will be the ones that just go all in and basically implode their near-term profitability to basically get that higher PE multiple because they're going to be going concerned for the future. So the companies that are willing to do that are the ones that we'd be interested in. So I think Nick's got some views on VW specifically. Yeah, and VW is a really good example because no one's spending more to pivot to electric. They're building their own battery plants they, I think they're spending 85 billion euros over the next four years. Wow. And it trades at six times earnings. And Tesla trades at 100 times earnings. So, you know, if you take a slightly longer term view, arguably VW is a better investment, assuming they can succeed. But they are coming from behind. But uh, so VW would be very interesting to us. And the same breath, you know, Peugeot trades at six times earnings and it's probably not going to make it. So that would be the one that we, we're not as interested in or Nissan, for instance. So we do think there's an opportunity there. It's the same for the oil companies as well. You know, the oil companies are ultimately decarbonizing themselves. They trade at seven times earnings. 
if they can get to the other side, that's a that's a good opportunity as well. Yeah, right. Didn't think we'd be talking about oil companies today, <laughs> yeah. but there you go. <laughs> Look, some of them are going to do it. This is no different to any other disruption we've seen in the last 30 years. James used a good example of Disney versus Netflix. You know, Xerox still exists, even though no one uses photocopiers anymore. You know, you can do this. It can be done. And we would never discount that some of these companies will be able to do it. Well, uh, guys, before we turn to the discussion around actually finding some winners in this space, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. So, Nick, uh, as we've discussed, in 2021, global investment in the transition to low carbon broke $500 billion and was more than twice the 2010 total. And you've mentioned that between now and sort of 2050, there's going to be $30 trillion in investment. I guess the question then is, uh, is this just a rising tide lifts all boats scenario? Um, At the start, it probably will be, to be honest. So this, I think, sets up very much like the internet did back 20 years ago. You know, we're on the record of saying this is probably the biggest opportunity we've seen since the internet. So at the start, you're going to have a lot of companies running around saying they can do lots of things and the market will give them credit for it. And you see this already in electric cars, whether it's Rivian or Lucid or Fisker, you know, they're all running around saying they can do something and the market will give them credit for them. Uh, We're probably now moving into that next phase into who actually can make money and that bit will be more interesting. And then right at the end, you'll, you'll end up with these handful of amazing winners that, you know, the Googles, the Facebooks, the Amazons that ultimately become our decarbonization champions. One of them we already know, it's Tesla. Then there's going to be many, many more. That's sort of how we see it playing out. And so right now when we invest in this fund, you know, there's a lot of companies that are lot of sort of sub 20 billion market cap. They're not very big in the grand scheme of things and they potentially could be huge. And we accept that we'll probably make some mistakes along the way here. But the goal is to get to that endpoint and find those few champions because those few champions will ultimately give you, you know, the returns that you're looking for that you got out of Apple or Facebook or Google or Amazon. The, the same thing should happen here. Well, I think we've got the episode title for today's interview, the uh, biggest opportunities since the internet. <laughs> um, if, if that doesn't frame uh, what we're talking about here, I don't think anything will. What you s- said there, Nick, around, um, you know, there'll be some big winners uh, in each of these sectors similar to the internet is a really exciting opportunity for us. And for in the second part of this interview, we really want to pick your brains on how you guys go about finding those winners or finding those possible winners. Uh, we've asked each of you to uh, come with one company that you think could be a big winner and we want to talk through those companies. But before then, James, if we just take a step back, 
Uh, what's your process to even getting to that point, to even trying to identify which companies could be a winner? Um, at Munro, yeah, can you, if you can just talk us through, you know, is it top down? Is it bottom up? How do you actually start navigating this huge world and start identifying those companies that could be really exceptional? I suppose a lot of our work is just from meeting companies and, and reading and so forth and just trying to build a collection of sort of bottom-up ideas and, and you know, we pretty much never say no to a meeting or you're always just trying to look out for, for what's out there. But from the top down, I think it comes back to that math that we sort of ran through earlier. We tried to basically figure out how much is going to get spent and in which areas. And from there, it's, it's not that hard to sort of map those areas of spending to who's going to potentially benefit. Nick talked about insulation. We sort of already knew who all the insulation companies were out there. And so when, when we sort of realised that Europe was going to basically try to incentivise speeding up of renovation cycles, it was basically a, a, an easy thing to sort of map that to the sort of companies that we've been following for a long period of time. Similar in um, retrofitting buildings with HVAC, you know, there's probably half a dozen HVAC companies out there, industrial type of companies. So we basically go and do all the bottom-up work on, on that. The last question about sort of the rising tide lifts all boats is a really interesting one in sort of the renewable energy side. You sort of talked about the oil companies and so forth as well. That area is so big and it's coming from such a low base. We talked about the sort of 20x growth in wind that there's probably enough for all the companies to basically do well in terms of their earnings growth over time. So there will be the existing leaders today that will seed share, but they're still going to grow for a long period of time as well. So yeah, we're sort of trying not to discount companies that are coming from other industries into areas like offshore wind and so forth. So we're not just looking at the existing players today, but others that can maybe transition their businesses across as well. So yeah, there's a wide wide range of sort of companies on the list from traditional sort of fossil fuel type of companies through to the ones that are already green today, like the, you know, the, the Danish companies that Nick talked about. Well, uh, let's stick with companies. James, can you share one company that you think will be a big winner in this space? Yep, I'm going to go for a very easy one. Um, and hopefully you mentioned dividends uh, at the very outset. Um, so this is probably one of the more boring ones and I'll let Nick pick maybe a couple of exciting ones. But um, you know, one, of the, one of the biggest stocks in our fund is just Nextair Energy. It's the US. It's traditionally utility. And so it is the largest renewables developer in the US. It does pay a dividend yield, which grows 10% per annum. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, got a, it's got yield support, it's got valuation support from that perspective. Um, unlike a lot of sort of renewable stocks out there, which is sort of trading on price to sales or whatnot, don't have much in the way of earnings. This one's just a very consistent grower. Should grow 10% per annum in line with basically the growth in renewables, renewable energy. So um, you've got a very sort of consistent existing business there in terms of its existing utilities business. And then obviously all the business that it wins in terms of deploying solar and, and onshore wind and so forth, but also a management team that's willing to try new things as well. So getting involved in EV rollout, hydrogen, batteries, et cetera. So it's, it, they're also willing to sort of uh, try new things as well. So as I say, the valuation is not ridiculous and, and it does sort of pay you as well as you go along. So that's always good in a tricky market environment because ultimately these kind of companies, although they'll sell off with the market, they're not going to sell off forever. So Next Era Energy is probably my very simple and Somewhat boring one, but Nick might have one that's more exciting. Well, what a wind up, Nick. Your turn then, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so I get to take all the risk. Um, that's how it works around here. Um, so from our point of view, um, look, I think um, the I talked about it before. If you think about an electric car, electric car, instead of using petrol, it needs 
battery power or power to you get it to accelerate. The thing that anyone who's driven one knows how fast it takes off. It goes from like zero to 100 in, in three seconds. That's all being driven by these things called power semiconductors. Power semiconductors are, you know, the, the muscle in the muscle car. And power semiconductors, you know, you used to use them to, you know, drive a toy car or to turn lights off and on, right? And they're now having to pull all this amazing amount of torque and power through them. So the companies who operate in this space have suddenly gone from sort of, you know, bog standard semiconductor makers to integral to the performance of a car or the performance of a renewable energy facility or the performance of of some industrial facility. And so those companies um, are now, we think, super exciting. And the two leaders in the space, I'm going to give you two actually, are Infineon in Germany and On Semiconductor in the United States. There are other companies that do it, but these are the two biggest pure plays. Um, both of them, you know, trade at, you know, roughly 20 times earnings, slightly above or slightly below for one of them. So they're not expensive at all. Um, and to give you an idea, you know, the content that they would put in an internal combustion engine in terms of semiconductors per car would be about 150 bucks. Uh, the content that they've got to put in an electric car today will be 600 bucks. And when that car becomes autonomous, it's 1600 bucks. And so you just get this massive structural tailwind from the shift from, you don't need to sell any more cars. You just need to sell more electric cars. And you know, that's going to happen. So you get this wonderful structural tailwind. You don't have to pay the price for it. And we know that the structural tailwind will run for 20 years. And so from our point of view, it's a very, um, very simple It'll be bumps along the way, but a very simple and, and an easy investment opportunity that people probably haven't really looked at properly yet. Fascinating. I, every time I hear an expert talk about semiconductors, I just realize that there's so much more I have to learn and there's so much opportunity out there. And, you know, we all watched NVIDIA just run and run last year. So hopefully some of these can follow in their footsteps. Yeah. And I think that's actually a good example, actually. So, so you didn't know what NVIDIA did until artificial intelligence and mm. video gaming came along. You didn't know what Qualcomm did until mobile phones came along. So you don't know who these companies are because you don't, you don't look inside your phone to check what, who makes them or, <laughs> or, or look inside your data center. And so, but if you do the work, you can find them. And so these guys are the, the these guys will power the electric car revolution and, and they should become as, 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 um, as commonly known as NVIDIA, you know, five, 10 years from now. We could talk uh, sustainability and some of these companies all day, but uh, we are running out of time. So if people uh, want to learn more about, uh, I guess, the work you guys are doing and the sustainability focus fund that you run, uh, where should they be going? Yeah, so so we have a brand new website um, at Monroe Partners. Nice. Uh, so that's the first place to go. We love it. Our new tagline <laughs> is invest in the journey with Monroe Partners. So I think we've all discussed here, this is going to be a journey, right? It's mm. a journey that we all agree we're on and we all agree there's lots of opportunity. There are going to be ups and downs on the journey, clearly, like there was in the internet journey. Uh, but ultimately, I think there's, there's a wonderful opportunity. What we have done at Monroe is we run three products now. So we run our absolute return product, which is quoted on the stock exchange under the code MAET. So that's our global equity product. Uh, we also have a long only product that is also quoted on the stock exchange, which is our global equity product, but without the downside protection. And for this climate opportunity, we have decided to set up a standalone product. It's called MCCL or the Monroe Climate Change Leaders Fund. Been quoted on the stock exchange now for a week or two, I believe, at the time of the recording of this podcast. And in that fund, we're basically just giving you our best 15 to 25 ideas globally that we think will enable the decarbonisation of the planet. Those companies will change over time. We're not using an index approach. It's very much an active approach. And most importantly, we're betting in the management teams that we think are providing the products that will enable the decarbonisation of the planet and ultimately become 
those big winners that we saw previously with the internet. And so for the people listening, you know, you, you've got a choice here. You can, you can buy the next latest battery resources stock that you, you, you think is really interesting and you can definitely do that or you can just buy MCCL and, and, and we'll take care of the rest. Um, and along the way, there's going to be some bumps, but hopefully when we come back in five years, you know, the, this opportunity would have developed. We would have found some of these great winners and we would have delivered some, some nice returns for you. And, and also, I suppose you have the comfort of knowing that if you put money in the product, that you know it's going to the companies that we think will enable the decarbonisation of the planet. And so you're getting that, that, that benefit also. If this is something you truly believe in, and it's, it's clearly something we truly believe in. Nice. Well, we're all about making markets accessible at Equity Mates, and I'm glad that it is a listed product. So uh, for those that are interested, they can get access to the work that you're doing. So um, yeah, it's been a fascinating interview. Now we do close with three final questions but we have asked Nick them before, so we're going to have a bit of a, a climate theme to them, Ren. Yeah, and uh, would love uh, both of you to answer. If you have the same answer, that's that's fine. But um, you know, we want to really pick your brains as much as possible. So, um, uh, for the first question, uh, James, why don't we start with you? Um, we normally ask, uh, what uh, do, do, do you have any must-read books? Uh, but we'll put a climate twist on it this time. So. For those that want to understand the climate opportunity, do you have any must-read climate-related books? I think the best thing that I've read in the last 12 months was actually a paper from a sort of consultant. And you've put me on the spot here and I forgot the name of the consultant. But basically, what <laughs> um, they said last year was, although we had all these efficiency programs coming in, like we talked about sort of people buying their own electric car and all this sort of stuff, things aren't happening quickly enough. So carbon actually went up last year, not down because the world is growing and, you know, people are burning more coal than ever and so forth. They actually showed that it was actually going up, which is the wrong trajectory. So we're not, we're not hitting 1.5 degrees as set out at Paris. We're hitting three degrees, you know? Uh, So it's quite a frightening thing. And so what they suggested was that, you know, the acceleration in spend had to happen immediately and it needed to be really, really big to get you back on that trajectory but down to 1.5 times. And so I think that sort of science stuff um, that's maybe a little bit hard to read um, is actually really important because it tells you that the time is now, the inflection is actually now, and so the opportunity is now as well from the perspective of, of investment and, and yeah, where the money is going to be spent. So probably the most interesting thing I read last year, but it was somewhat frightening as well at the same time. <laughs> That's a worrying stuff. Uh, 45 minutes into the show, uh, we probably should have asked that earlier, but <laughs> the fact that emissions are still going up, not what you want to hear. Nick, what about you? Uh, any books that uh, you think uh, must read in this space? Yeah, so there's a good one uh, called The Great Disruption, written by a guy called Paul Gilding. Uh, he's an Aussie guy. Um, he's an ex-Greenpeace uh, guy who sort of then got into working with corporates to to try and help them understand the enormity of the task. Um, it's actually quite an old book. It's amazing how much he's predicted everything that was coming. He, he wrote it, you know, back in 2015, 2016. And so from that point of view, it's still very relevant today. And I think it's important to read it because as James says, you just to understand the enormity of the task here and how far behind we truly are. Mm. And that ultimately, you know, even if people on the call, and I think he writes this very well, if people on the call get depressed or down about this, you know, because they realise how far behind they are, we are, to know that, you know, ultimately we're going to be forced to do this because the climate is going to start to change in front of us and we probably all think we can already see it. And as that starts to happen, you know, things will start going much, much faster because people will panic. And this is, he lays out very clearly in the book and it's it's a very optimistic book and and we are very optimistic, but um, but that's, you know, 
at the moment, obviously there's a lot of impetus to do this right now. We expect there'll be a lot more this time next year. It's good to hear you're optimistic. That's that's reassuring. <laughs> it's um, it's a scary topic sometimes when you really start to think about it. Uh, going alongside that optimism and uh, you know giving us reason to hope, um, we like to ask what's the best company people have ever come across. But let's put a climate twist on it again. What's the best company you've seen that gives you reason for hope? That's uh, you know that's really trying to solve a big challenge in this space or doing something really exciting and really innovative in this space. I mean, talking about optimism, I mean, there is plenty of good news things out there. So, yeah, we spoke about some of these Californian companies and so forth. So Apple actually is going to net zero, as you'd probably expect from a really high quality company like that, um, with, you know, lots of stakeholders out there that care about the environment. Um, And so what that means is Apple then forces all of their supply chain to go to net zero. And so that's companies in Taiwan that make semiconductors and so forth. So they have to go out and source this, this green power. How do they do that in a land constrained country like that? They go offshore wind um, and they go and basically ask the offshore wind players, you know, to build them wind farms. And so interesting company is just uh, another Danish company is uh, Nick mentioned there's a few good ones that have come out of there. And, and so this one's actually called Orsted. Um, so they've had a tricky sort of couple of months as sort of other oil and gas companies are trying to come into their sector. But the, the rally is offshore wind is going to be so big, but they're going to still have a meaningful share and they're going to grow for a very, very long period of time. So they're, I think, one of the top sort of sustainability companies in the world. Very good track record. One of the first to move actually was a fossil fuel company that transitioned um, many years ago. That's a that's a good company. Going through a difficult transition at the moment with the with the you know, likes of BP and Shell coming in, but nonetheless have a really good sort of longer term sort of outlook profile. Uh, so so for me, it's it's got to be Tesla. Mm. I mean, there's just so many reasons to be optimistic. And okay, maybe it's a little bit expensive right now, but it's still a must own on, on any sort of time horizon. And so just to the reason why it makes you so optimistic is because here's some guys who basically said, we're going to build an electric car against all the odds, raise the capital, against all the odds, got people to back them, built the car, Everyone gets in it, says it's amazing and caused an entire industry to chase them now mm. towards electric vehicles. Um, and I think the message I'd, I'd leave with the people listening is, is if you think capitalism and decarbonizing the planet are two things that can't happen together, then you, then Tesla proves you wrong. Yeah. And it proves you wrong in spades. Um, the reality is it's a win-win-win. This is how you're going to do this. It's about finding great management teams that are trying to solve big problems. That's what we did when we bought smartphones. That's what we did when we bought e-commerce. That's what we did when we looked at software. That's what we're doing with climate. And these companies are winning because they are solving a big problem. And there will be many, many more Teslas to come. And I think that's definitely the most exciting and most optimistic development in the last five years. And it has accelerated this path faster than any of us could imagine. It's allowed capital to then go to these companies. It allows us to launch a product like this, which raises capital, which then you know goes to the people who will help solve these problems and they will win. And so, and you will get returns. And so that, that closes the loop, which means this is going to happen. It's going to happen. There's going to be some bumps, but it's going to happen. And I think that's the thing that makes us most excited. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then a final question. If you were speaking uh, to a group of young investors, well, I guess, you know, Bryce and I aren't quite as young as we used to, uh, we used to be, but we still think we're young. So speaking to us and people in the equity mates audience, um, if you had, if you could give us any advice on, you know, investing in this space and learning more about this space, uh, what advice would you give us? Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll do this one. Yeah, so so like everything, there's only going to be a handful of winners, right? So you, you're looking in the right area. You might make some mistakes. 
don't worry about it. Just cut the mistakes, move on, keep looking in the right area. Um, and then when you find that winner, run it for a very, very long period of time. Uh, because the guys who who execute well will keep executing well and their price may get ahead of itself and behind itself, but ultimately, you like any good area, you, you've got to run it for a long period of time because you know there'll only be a few winners. So don't be disheartened if you make mistakes. You know, you could have loved smartphones and bought BlackBerry. <laughs> you, could, you could still have your BlackBerry shares today, okay? So no, get rid of the BlackBerry shares, move away from the loser, move towards the winner, and, you, and you'd be very happy. So if you're looking in the right place, don't be disheartened if you make mistakes. When you get it right and you're confident, don't sell it just because the price went up. Because if the mass adds up, it'll keep going and going and going. Yeah, nice. love that. Nice. And uh, James, any words of wisdom to to leave us on? Yeah, I, I suppose it's similar to what Nick was just saying in terms of just running that winner and and you know if the mad, math adds up. I think the most important thing that I've learned over time is um you know how powerful these S curves are. We probably didn't really talk about them today, but um, when you're on that S curve, i.e. that penetration curve, that's really really powerful. Um, and so the earnings of the companies that are basically benefiting from that S-curve will, will, will keep grinding higher regardless of what happens out there in the world uh, in terms of, you know, interest rates or geopolitical threats or whatever it might be. There's lots of things to sort of shake you out of investing or in, you know, good stocks that are sort of not related to that company, not related to that S-curve. And you just got to try to block that out as best as you can, as hard as it sometimes is, uh, and just recognize, you know, where the earnings are going for the company and, and for that area of interest. And, and as long as you get that right, the macro, you know, you don't have to worry as much. Just try to stick with the company's earnings. So that's that's the most important thing, I think, um, for sort of less experienced investors, just getting the earnings right. Well, Nick and James, thank you so much for kicking off the year with such an inspiring uh, conversation. Uh, this is a topic that as we said at the top of the show, is incredibly important for the Equity Mates community. And I feel like there's never going to be a moment where we don't have anything to talk about in this space. So um, we will look forward to, I guess, getting you on at some point down the track as well to get an update on, on how the fund is going and uh, where how things are changing in the industry. But uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, we really appreciate it. No, thanks very much thank for having you. us. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equitymates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Meets Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.